0: Jean-Martin Charcot, as repeat listeners of this program will recall, had the intellectual capacity to diagnose a fatal heart defect. He was also utterly powerless to prevent his own demise from that same defect. This is where fate meets destiny. Charcot could see his fate while understanding the arc of his own destiny. This is Astrocytes. I'm Andrew Rose, and it is your destiny to endure the following attempt at coherent thought stars, they come and go, they come fast, they come slow, they go like the last light of the sun, all in a blaze, all you see is glory, but it gets lonely there, when there's no one there to share. The chalky orange pellets of baby aspirin my mom gave our arthritic bichon frise tasted enchanting. Not bitter, of course, but a kind of sweetness which blooms just wide enough to hoodwink one into taking the medicine. The delicate art of making an unpalatable but curative substance go down easy, through sweetening or intellectual coercion, is an eternal theme and challenge of medicine. When presented with the most succulent fruits of medical research, the public are naturally awed and overjoyed by things like penicillin or the polio vaccine. But combine this with our cultural reverence for a physician's judgment, and a doctor's powers of persuasion become almost impossible to resist. But the point is not really to criticize penicillin necessarily. What I'm getting at is that sometimes we invest all of our positive energy in someone or something, and the result is we ignore their flaws until a major crisis reveals that they are the most evil thing in the galaxy, or at least that we were far too trusting. I've discovered in making this podcast that I can't think about anything seriously without seeing it through the lens of a dialectic. Put simply, doing the heavy lifting of learning to dispassionately hold positive and negative or contradictory facts about something is a goal toward which we all must strive because it is an eternal condition of humanity. And it also happens to be one of the most vexing subjects to understand and implement in one's life. There is no life without contradiction, and it is possible to see our personal collection of these adaptive and unfriendly phenomena as a construction within ourselves. Uncertainty may in fact represent something to help construct a self in the hollows of our worries. it is extremely fashionable nowadays to talk with reverent awe about the power of the microbiome, the gut bacteria, and the billions of non-human life-forms inside you right now. This is with abundant good reason, of course, and the consequences of a deficient or incomplete microbiome appear to be quite dire. Uh, Anything from hay fever to MS to cancer can result. Indeed, many people attribute the collapse of the western gut to medications like antibiotics, such as penicillin, which by design kill bacteria. And we all know now that there are good bacteria and bad bacteria, but the miracle of antibiotics is where they stop the bacterial shock troops. Few things will kill you more quickly or more painfully than a systemic infection caused by a pinch of bacteria in one's bloodstream. In the fond recollection of medical breakthroughs, one rarely hears about the test subjects who died along the road to glory. Reserve Constable Albert Alexander of the Oxford County Police was one of the first people to benefit from the use of penicillin in 1941. Constable Alexander could indeed have recovered fully had wartime rationing not made extracting the experimental medication in sufficient quantities prohibitively expensive. The part of this story that really chills me is that Constable Alexander's infection wasn't the result of a compound fracture in an open sewer or a gangrenous stump patiently attended by dense clouds of flies. Constable Alexander, while perhaps literally stopping to smell the roses, suffered a violent attack from one of the enticing flower's unforgivingly poetic thorns. This ordinary man died in very short order because he dared to get within striking distance of a plant cultivated solely to delight the senses. Constable Alexander's case is disturbing, even if we know that doing any testing of the first antibiotic ever was better than leaving all the research until the war's end. It's the kind of story that makes one shudder and feel an immense respect for the good that medicine has done over the past century. To think that in a matter of three years, the war would be over and the security and beauty of the world would flourish once again, for a time. and the stars. Accepting the inevitability of certain phenomena never sitting neatly into categories of good or evil is a task far easier to grasp as social theory than daily practice. The toxic psychological defense of splitting, most often seen among people with borderline personality disorder, involves applying the rigid dogma of categorizing things by pure valor or pure vitriol to all people who are unlucky enough to interact with. With the severely personality disordered person. Everyone's been guilty of putting someone up on a glistening pedestal and blindly ignoring their human faults. But true splitting behavior overwhelms and rapidly corrodes relationships as surely as flooding our collective corpus with limitless doses of antibiotics weakens the body. Delimiting certain individuals, for example one's doctor, as being the patient's perfect eternal ally, colludes with a fantasy where the nurses, for example, are villains, constantly undermining the patient and trying to harm them. It is a reactionary state for the borderline patient, and it's the same kind of state, really, that allowed medical science to gleefully subscribe to the postmodern inflationary of more-is-more pharmaceuticals. These two seemingly intellectually impenetrable problems both demonstrate the fundamental human yearning for security and secure attachments. Despite the pharma-goliath's insatiable demand for lucre as ransom for one's health, the demand and distribution of most drugs is ultimately controlled by people who have no direct financial stake in their purchase. That is to say, our demand for medical intervention has grown exponentially with the rebranding of medical practice as extremely safe and effective. This yearning for a perfect solution to a danger to one's life or quality of life is perfectly natural, but one must ultimately come to accept the complexities of excitedly ingesting the newest thing. We make exactly the same critical errors when evaluating other people's behavior. As children, we want nothing more than that our most critical role models, our parents of course, be perfect exemplars of a good and righteous existence and learning that they are human beings, like all of us, is a depressing developmental milestone. Coming to terms with the frustrating paradoxes of choice within our modern world requires that we reorient our counterproductive and malicious thinking patterns. This is an incredibly difficult task, and all but the most pious and dedicated of Trappist hermits will struggle with it until their dying day. When my depression's ruminative component roars online around one in the morning as I'm drifting off to sleep or trying to, it asks again and again, what if? What if I was born to a world where I didn't have MS, where my parents weren't so unhappy all the time? Of course, no one gets another chance with the past, but destiny, the future, is another thing entirely. It is not that we can luxuriantly massage our lives to make the painful bearable and the inevitable less catastrophic taking destiny as a part of one's daily epistemological ablutions helps inform and guide our choices destiny then is a way for us to come to terms with the future and use it to inform our everyday practice as the existential psychotherapist rollo may describes destiny It is a thing that does in fact loom immovably over us. However, as May explains, we can thrive marvelously once we understand and learn to actively accept our destiny. Once we see these strictures as evidence not of our boundaries, but of our specific capabilities as individuals, our powers, the burden of destiny seems much less onerous. That stress of even contemplating certain paradoxical people or events is hard to overcome indeed. But May's idea of destiny offers us a neatly manicured path toward coming to terms with life's fundamental uncertainty. Understanding our place in the world is a massive leap toward accepting ourselves and others. I'm recording this at a particularly intense point of inflection for my own struggle with accepting the multitudes of all people. This podcast has been much more about depression because my own melancholy trances and terrifying manic peaks are violently pillaging through my plans to liberate myself. The Sarlacc pit, into which I've been casually bumped, roils as the monster's bowels squeeze tighter and suffocate me. And so, getting better is obviously the first goal. If it were as simple as taking a different pill, I would gladly do so, but psychiatry is among the most primitive of the medical specialties, and there are no guarantees. Well, thank you for listening to Astrocytes. Uh, I'm Andrew Rose, and I'm gonna be in New York in August, so prepare for that. Uh, The work I'm trying to do here, as it's become clear, is coalescing around a productive comprehension of my own emotional paroxysms, granular and immense, as the foundation for figuring out what makes MS so oceanic in its breadth and weight. That is to say, I can't understand any of this shit by roiling it around in my head and talking it through is a good way to do it. So email us at astrocytespod at gmail.com with story ideas or people to interview or just to reach out. And you can also follow us on SoundCloud and iTunes, so I hope you do.